0: This morning, as we open God's Word again, uh, we're opening it to the 17th chapter of John's Gospel, where uh, this is the third week that we will be looking at this great prayer that Jesus prayed, commonly referred to as the High Priestly Prayer. It's got three parts to it. We saw in the first part where Jesus prayed fairly briefly for himself, but importantly. Uh, We're in this middle section right now, this second part, where he's praying for His disciples, and then there's a third section where he's praying more specifically for followers of Jesus who would come after the disciples. But even as we look at this section this morning that he's praying for his disciples, it really does apply to us. Uh, any, anything that Jesus prayed for them would apply to us with the, the exceptions of things that were specific to the establishing of the church there in the first century or the writing down and recording of Holy Scripture as the Holy Spirit carried them along. But very clearly the three things that we see Jesus praying for his disciples in these verses this morning do definitely apply to us in the same way that they applied to Peter and James and John and, and the others. So as we look at these verses this morning, as we hear Jesus praying, I want you to keep in mind that he's praying for you. He's asking the Father on your behalf. And I hope that you know and that you would be convinced that the prayers of Jesus are pretty powerful and pretty effective. It gives us great reason for hope this morning. Stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. John chapter 17, verses 6 through 19. It's the same verses from last week, but we're going to be focusing much more on the second half of these verses this week. Beginning in verse 6. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. I've given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me I'm praying for them I'm not praying for the world but for those whom you have given me for they are yours all mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them and I'm no longer in the world but they are in the world and I am coming to you that they also may be sanctified in truth may god bless the preaching of his inspired inerrant infallible and authoritative word let's pray together now oh father would you come in these moments and would you do something special would you do something powerful would you do something to bring yourself glory lord anytime we open your word you can do those things and you will do those things, be it in our quiet time, be it in a Bible study. But Lord, as as the bride of Christ is gathered to worship here and around the world this morning, and as your word is proclaimed, as the truths of the gospel, as the glory of Christ is sounded aloud, would you be pleased to do something special even in our midst this morning we pray in christ's name and for his sake amen please be seated i want to start this sermon this morning with an extra little micro sermon right at the beginning before i get to the main points All Right, so this is free you don't have to pay extra for this part Um, reading scripture, studying scripture, preaching and teaching scripture can often be a forest and the trees situation. Last week, uh, last Sunday, and also in our Wednesday night Bible study, if you participated in that, we were very much looking at the individual tree level. Zooming in, focusing on deep theological truths. This past week, it's specifically been dealing with God's sovereign plan of redemption and salvation. And that's important work, and that is time well spent. But as I spent additional time this week in these verses, I caught a glimpse of the whole forest that I hadn't paid attention to yet. And the the beauty and the majesty, the sum total of all the trees together, And So this micro-sermon before the real sermon is just a single point. But if you were to look again at verse 6, paying attention to this group of God's people, right? That's us, Christians, followers of Jesus, where he says, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And then if you look at verses 9 and 10 again, Jesus says, I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine. And I, I sat with that language for a little bit. How it kind of sounds like we're we're talked about like we're property or something. Like we belong to someone else, like ownership is being transferred from one to another. And we're never the owner. Yours they were. You gave them to me. We are not our own. Your life, it's not your own. It doesn't belong to you. You don't get to call the shots. Now, that, that causes us to bristle a bit. We sometimes want to bow up against that. Rugged individuals that many of us have been taught to be. But in the end, this is not a bad thing at all, that we don't belong to ourselves. It's a glorious consequence of the gospel. It's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, we are not our own, but we've been bought with a price. We belong to Jesus. The Father gave us to him, and he had to pay a great price in taking possession of us. And so that's the the single point of the micro sermon that I want you to ponder this week. When I saw this, this forest view, if you will, come into focus this week, man, I had to really stop and think about this. I had to be honest with myself. Have, have I been living even this week like I'm the owner of my life? Like I'm the one calling the shots? Like I make this decision to do this thing or to go here. Like, like I'm the owner and, and, and deciding how I spend my money and, and what I'm going to do with my time. And so I'll ask you guys, how would life be different this next week if we consciously were to remember that we belong to someone else? All right, now to the real sermon. The stuff that's on the outline. Boy, that's a doozy of an outline if you've pulled it up. I don't know that I've ever done anything like that before. Uh, so there is a, an outline in your worship guide. Uh, if, if you're listening maybe through Facebook or something, you can access that on our on our website, trinityorangeburg.com. And some of you look at this thing, you're thinking, gee whiz, what in the world? And you're instantly confused. And then others of you look at it and say, oh, finally something that makes sense. Um... If you have ever been by my office, especially in the second half of the week, you may have seen that the big huge whiteboard in my office is just filled with multicolored uh, shapes and arrows and lines and words all over the place and an arrow drawn here and there and anywhere else. And that's just how my brain kind of works, trying to, uh, to figure out a passage to make sense of it and see how things are related and connected. And so what you see in the worship guide this morning is a a cleaned up duplication of of what ended up on my whiteboard this week. Seeking to figure out the connections between what Jesus is praying for and and, and the other things that are at work here. And so you've got on, on this outline, you've got three boxes These are the things that Jesus wants for us. These are the things that he's specifically asking the Father for on our behalf. And then you've got three circles, and they're still blank right now, but we're going to fill them in. And you've got dotted lines, and each circle is connected to each of the three boxes. These are the things that are at work beneath the surface, behind the scenes. The, The big ideas connected to each of these three requests. So first, we're going to look at the three requests, the three petitions. Those are the boxes, and then we'll come back to the circles later. The things that Jesus wants for you, the things that he wants for us, he wants us to be kept, he wants us consecrated, and he wants us commissioned. And I I thought for a little bit about spelling all those with a K, just so that it could have the nice uh, visual alliteration. Uh, but at least it has the the alliteration of sound. Uh, and if you really like alliteration, I included lots of P's underneath each of those that we'll look at. So let's start with kept. Jesus wants us to be kept. Now, the timing of Jesus' prayer, part of the urgency of his prayer, specifically for his disciples, is his soon departure. Verse 11, he says, I'm no longer in the world. And that actually is a bit odd because when he prays that prayer he is technically still in the world but in his mind he's as good as gone so committed is he to carrying out the father's plan of redemption his departure to him is a certain fact it's done and he knows the disciples are about to be left alone in danger Defenseless, And so he prays, Holy Father, keep them. And this isn't something new. It's not like they've been keeping themselves and now they're going to have to be kept. They've been protected, but thus far it's been in person by Jesus himself. Verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them. I guarded them. Jesus has been a faithful keeper and protector of the people that belong to him. And if you, like me, bristle a bit at that those comments I made earlier about belonging not to yourself but to someone else, rest assured, your being owned by another is a very good thing, especially when your owner, when your owners in the Trinity, so jealously protect all that belongs to them. We saw back in chapter six, Jesus says, I I lose no one that the father has given to me. We heard as Alan read again this morning from John 10, they'll never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. These are wonderful and much needed promises. This is a merciful and gracious petition that Jesus prays to the father on our behalf because in the world we do in fact face great danger I hope you realize that. I hope you're not just floating through your days thinking la dee da di and, da And the biggest things on, on, on your mind and, and your worries are, are, are little, little things. And it's not the fact that, y'all, we have an enemy. We have an enemy who would love to see our destruction. And if he can't affect our eternal outcome... If that's now beyond his reach, which it is, he'll at least try to affect our earthly lives and our witness and our ministries and our testimonies here on earth. Verse 15, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. There's real danger, folks. But Jesus is praying for our protection and i want you to see two important things about this protection this keeping that jesus is asking for the first thing is to see how it is that we're kept verse 11 holy father keep them in your name also in verse 12 it's being kept in his name so when you read through the bible when you read with our little trinity together reading plan that we've got as we read through the pages of scripture very often you will see that this there's a keeping there is a protective force to god's name right the name of the lord is a strong tower the righteous run to it and are safe says proverbs 18. psalm 20 is a great psalm of of the lord's protection Psalm says, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob set you securely on high. And, and later in that same Psalm 20, uh, this famous verse that many of us know that, you know, some look to, some boast in chariots, some boast in horses, but we boast in the name of the Lord our God. That's where our protection comes from. This isn't a, a vague keeping. It's not some wimpy protection. It's keeping and protection that's in his name. So, right, so this is backed by all of who God is. All of his power and might and sovereign control directed toward the keeping and the protection of the people that belong to him. So how we're kept is important, but why we're kept is also important. And in these verses, we see at least three reasons why why we're kept, but I'm going to save two of them because they actually fill in two of those circles. right? The, the one outlier here that doesn't go in a circle is in verse 11. Keep them in your name so that they may be one. Our being kept isn't for our individual good alone. It's also, and very importantly, for our corporate good good which makes sense in light of all that we've been talking about recently uh, about God choosing a people for himself giving Jesus a specific group of people that's not primarily about individuals it's not primarily about well there's you and your relationship with God and there's you and your relationship with God it's about all y'all being united to Christ and therefore united to each other. And this unity, this oneness that results from that is not a small thing. It's not just well-wishing that we would get along together. It's not just that, oh, well, we'll tolerate each other with all of our idiosyncrasies and how we sometimes get on each other's nerves, but no, we'll be unified. That's not it. Jesus wants us to be one even as he is one with the Father, right? at the end of verse 11, want them to be one even as we're one, right? There, there is a unity, there is, there is a tri-unity in the Godhead, in the Trinity between Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And our unity, our oneness is supposed to reflect that unity that intimacy, that depth of love that the persons in the Trinity have for one another. And this is a natural byproduct of being kept, if you think about it, right? So if each of us were to realize and live in light of the fact that our only safety, our only security in this life is because the Son and the Father draw us tight, hold us close in the security of their arms, in the protection that they provide. And so if I'm drawn close to them, and if you're drawn close to them, then guess what? We're drawn close to each other. Jesus wants us to be kept. That's the first rectangle there. Second box, second big ask of Jesus, verse 17, sanctify them. Now, sanctify is a rich, rich word with a, with a breadth and a depth of meaning that's just, it would take a long time to fully unpack. But at its core, its essence, is the idea of separating, setting one thing apart from another, you get ready to do the laundry. You, you sanctify the whites from the colors. The cold waters from the hot waters, right? But, but that's so mundane and ordinary. So it's not just a mere separation that this is talking about. There, there's, something, there's something sacred here. There's something important here about the purpose of setting something apart. That's why it's sometimes called consecration. So verse 19, Jesus, uh, again, uh, they're the translators of, of our English Bibles. Have, many of translations have chosen the word consecration. But it's really just the same word that was back in 17 for sanctify. <laughs> same Greek word. But to say that, that, he's, that it, this consecration gets us into uh, away from a mundane purpose and toward uh, a, a special an important, a, a sacred purpose here. The first part of Jesus' desire here for us to be sanctified is that we become more like him. We're set apart that we might be purified, cleansed, old habits, old desires removed, new habits, new longings placed deep in our hearts, right? This is an important aspect of our being kept and really of the gospel as a whole. We're we're kept. We're received into the saving, protective care of the Father and the Son, just as we are. We don't clean up our acts in order to get received and to get kept. Which is a good thing, because we don't have that ability, right? We, We are held in bondage to sin and death. We sang of it earlier, right? Long my imprisoned spirit lay bound in sin and nature's night, right? It took the miraculous intervention of another. It took the fact that Jesus mentions in verse 19 that he consecrated himself. What does that mean? What's Jesus talking about? That he consecrated himself, that he set himself apart. Y'all, that ought to cause us to think about what we've recently just read and trudged through in Leviticus. All right? oh, Leviticus. We're so glad to be done with Leviticus. But if even Leviticus, if we were to put on our gospel glasses for our reading of Leviticus, we'd be blown away. This idea of Jesus consecrating himself would take us back to Leviticus 1 and these laws about the burnt offerings, which seem so yawn-inducing to us. when you read again and you read about this animal being brought to the tent of meeting where you have to consecrate it, you have to lay your hands on its head and, and you're saying, I took this animal out of my herd, out of my flock. I'm setting it apart for a special use this morning or whenever you came to the tent of meeting. It's the best one I could find. There's no blemish as far as I can tell, and it's going to represent me. It's going to be killed in my place to atone for my sins against God. This animal is consecrated for sacrifice. Jesus saying that he consecrated himself ought to make us think about that, but it also should take us deeper into Leviticus. It should take us deeper to the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16. The one day out of the whole year when the high priest could enter into the presence of the Lord, into the Holy of Holies. But first, what did he have to do? He had to consecrate himself. He had to bathe in a certain way. He had to dress a certain way. He had to approach with a certain kind of sacrifice. One for his own sins, another for the sins of the people. And so when Jesus says he's consecrating himself, he's got both of these things in view. He consecrated himself as the sacrifice, the once and for all sacrifice that actually could do something that the blood of bulls and and goats could never do. And he's consecrating himself as the great high priest who will present that sacrifice to the Father, the perfect lamb without blemish and our sole mediator. This his consecrating himself. This is the key to our being sanctified. This is the reason why we can be received into his protective embrace. This is the reason why we can be kept. And it is the key to our being sanctified, our being set apart. As we see more and more of the deep, deep love of Jesus, it not only keeps us, it changes us. It transforms us radically. To be loved like that changes us from the inside out. At our core, our affections are changed. Our hearts are changed. The old us more and more fades away over time, and it's replaced by the new us, created in Christ Jesus and being conformed to Christ Jesus. But y'all, did y'all know that even that isn't primarily about us as individuals? It's it's primarily not about us becoming better people. It's also about us being sent. Third box there, Jesus also wants us commissioned. And in Jesus' mind, this is very closely related to our being sanctified, our being consecrated and set apart. Verse 17, sanctify them. Verse 18, as you sent me, so I've sent them. I want you to keep them. I want you to change them because I want to use them. I'm sending them into this world, this evil, dangerous, hateful world, right? Which that is something that we would just instantly object to. We would say, no way. Don't send us there. Why would you do that? We would would resist that. We would flee from that and never desire to do that were it not for the fact that Jesus has also prayed for our protection and prayed that we would be changed. But because Jesus has prayed for those two things, he's making us ready to be sent with the good news of the gospel to the very same dangerous, hateful world that he himself was sent to and willingly entered. Kept, consecrated, commissioned. Or if you like the P's better, protected, prepared, propelled. Those are all there for you on the outline. Now, I want us to fill in those three circles. What are the things that work here? What are the things that that are interconnected with all three of these petitions? There are deep connections here that I think are really helpful to see because they fuel and empower not just the asking of these three petitions, but also their being answered and fulfilled. The first circle, and it doesn't matter which one you pick, if you're taking notes, write the word glory. That we would be kept, that we would be consecrated or sanctified, that we would be sent is a matter first and foremost of glory for the Father and the Son. Early on in, in these verses, back in verse 10, what's the point of all of this? What is the point of all of this? Why have a people in the first place? Why spend so much effort keeping them and protecting them and changing them and sending them? Because Jesus is glorified in them. Our being protected and kept brings him glory. Our being changed and transformed and conformed to his image, it brings him glory. Our being sent with the gospel message resulting in many, many more worshipers of Jesus, how could that also not bring him glory? Bring them glory. Father and Son together with the Holy Spirit are glorified. So above all else, these things are matters of glory. Second circle, right? Truth or word, or right? Truth slash word. Deeply connected to all three of these petitions, right? So, how are we assured of our being kept? Well, we read of those promises again and again and again in God's word. But why do we need keeping in the first place? Why do we need protection? Why is there danger and hatred in the first place? Verse 14, because of the word. I've given them your word and the world has hated them. Because God's word makes us different. God's word in our lives, through our lives, exposes the darkness and the evil of the world. And even evil folks including us before Jesus rescued us. Evil folks hate having their evil exposed. But note this. All that is true about the world hating us, being exposed, um, hating us because we're different. The word is also a source of hatred because the truth of the gospel received in that word is a humbling, even a humiliating truth. Because it not only exposes our evil, shows that we've got this huge problem as we stand before God, but it also says, you know what? You've got this big problem and you're powerless to do anything about it. You've got this big, huge problem and you can't fix it. And then we're fighting words. Don't tell me I can't do something. I can do whatever I put my mind to. That's what we teach our kids, right? You can do anything. We can't fix that. Cannot fix that. We're helpless. We have to completely depend on another and the world hates to be told that. God's word, his truth is a source of animosity but it's also the source of our change and transformation. It's the fuel and the fire for our sanctification. Verse 17, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth, right? That one verse needs its own sermon. Another day, another time. God's word is also, of course, the message that we are sent with. It's the message that we are commissioned to take to the world. It's a matter of glory. It's a matter of God's word. Third circle connected to all three of these petitions is joy, our joy. How gracious is that? I've been blown away again and again, studying John's gospel at how deeply concerned God is with our joy. How how loving and generous and kind of him to be concerned about our joy. He doesn't have to be concerned about that. He could just say, obey and do, because I said so. But he's deeply concerned with our joy. Verse 13, but now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, all this stuff that I'm praying is that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. All these things Jesus asks for, our protection, our transformation, our being sent out on mission. He asks these things, of course, for glory, but also for our joy. He he knows, he knows the only path to our joy is to live lives that aren't anxious and worried and scared, but are confident of the Lord's protection of us. He knows that that realizing the transformation that only the gospel of his grace can achieve will bring us joy. He knows that our being involved, our giving our lives away on mission, taking the message of grace to the world around us, is how we'll know true joy. So the Lord bless you. Lord, bless us and and keep us in all of these things that your joy may be complete in him. Let's pray. Oh, Father, would you come and would you take these three petitions that Jesus asked for us and these three ideas that are so connected. Your glory above all things, oh God. Your word, the truth of your word, changing us, reminding us of how we're protected. The truth of your word that for some reason, Lord, you have decided that you would use us to take that word to the world and that you've done all of this with our joy in mind. Or would you just blow us all away this morning with your grace? how good you are to us, how generous you are to us, and would you change us by that truth? We ask in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen.